The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, <laughs> slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. So we're in the book of Ephesians today. If you have a Bible with you, feel free to open it up or if you want to open up your Bible app on your phone, We'll put the words of Ephesians up on the screen as well, and you'll, you'll also find them in your notes if you want to use these to follow along in today's message. I'm going to dive right into the book of Ephesians, but first, uh, a quick uh, introduction. This is an interesting book. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament, actually, because in this book, we've got Paul, an apostle, writing to a group of people that is the longest time he has ever stayed with any single group of people. He actually goes and lives, prior to writing this letter we're going to read, he lives with them for three years, pastoring them. He's their pastor. And so he knows all the people that he's writing to very intimately. And what he's noticed in the past, and now word has come to him, because Paul has now moved on, and actually he's been arrested, and he's writing this letter from a Roman jail cell. And he has heard that there are developing deep divisions in the Ephesian church between Jews and Gentiles. And that they have kind of lost track of how to love one another and stay unified. And so he writes them to, first of all, remind them that Unity in a church, in a congregation, is vitally important, and it's based on the fact that there was once a time when we people, sinful as we are, were not connected to God, not unified with God, but God took it upon Himself in His immense love to reconnect us, to reunify us with this Father who is 
holy and righteous and just, and we, by nature, are none of those things. So Paul wants them to be reminded that if God could do that in His great love for us sinners, how much more so now that we have been put into relationship and connection with God, ought we to take that love of God and turn it around and shine it out on one another and make, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the bond of unity amongst us. This is also a book that Paul writes, like you may, if I ask you and you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you may have a couple of passages memorized. And, and one of the, the most uh, well-known passages, kind of that a lot of people think defines this book, is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, which is a gift from God, it's not of ourselves, and no man can boast before God. It's all by grace, Paul says, and he says it repeatedly. And so, what a beautiful message. Grace is God's undeserved love. The reason we are connected with God, it's all God, all His love. What a lot of people don't remember at first, because that passage, it's fantastic, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, but it can dominate what we think about this book. Paul is also writing to the Corinthians, and while he says salvation is free to you, it wasn't free to Jesus. He paid a very high price in order to give you this free gift of his grace and forgiveness and eternal life. Furthermore, he says, once you are in Christ and Christ is in you and you are a believer, while grace is free, discipleship often comes with a high cost. He reminds us of even what Jesus says sometimes when he says, if a person wants to follow me, come after me, be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. So those are the two aspects of this book. And right in the middle of the book, chapter 3, Paul talks about the possibilities that exist because we have God in our lives. Because he knows that for the rest of our lives, sin is going to come after us. The devil, well, we're his enemies now. He wants to take us out. And even this world and culture around us is not necessarily always in love with Christians and Christianity. You might have detected that. And so now what? Do we even have the power to resist all of this and remain Christians? And what about our own sufferings and hurts? Well, Paul's going to address that. And we're going to start by reading what he says. And again, it's in your program. It'll be on the screen. Paul's going to pray for us. First of all, for the Ephesians, but also for us today. This is how he prays. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, God's love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him 
who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So I was thinking about this background that I just shared with you of Paul writing to the Ephesians, and it reminded me of a story of another pastor uh, in much more modern times, not right up to this date, but in the mid-20th century when Nazism was flowing over Germany. There was uh, a pastor there, very faithful pastor, who really wanted to protect his people from the influence of Adolf Hitler and Nazism. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You might have heard his name before because actually even in our culture, sometimes quotes from this pastor are used. But the interesting thing to know about Bonhoeffer and his story is when he saw what, what, what Nazism was doing to the hearts of the German people, his heart bled. And he knew that he had to stand up against this influence. He could see clearly it was ungodly. It was a, it was, um, a philosophy, Nazism, that really made it all about humanity. It was humanism in its worst forms. And so he did stand up against it to the point of even at one time joining the Nazi intelligence service, the Wehrmacht, in order to get inside of it so that he could work his work to, to overthrow it. And eventually he gets arrested, he gets detected. Someone else gets arrested and, and this pastor's name comes out and he gets arrested and he's put in prison and, um, and then one day they come to arrest him. Now, this is what I find interesting uh, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In prison... The thing that sustains him is the love of God, which we're going to talk a lot about today. Like he goes back and back and back to, despite the fact that everything has been taken from me, I know that God's love is still here with me in this prison. And that's, I mean, you could quote Paul as saying the exact same thing. But furthermore, he says, I also know this prison is an opportunity for me to take this immense love God has shown for me and reflect it back to the people God has put with me in this prison. Bonhoeffer actually started to do church services and preach and teach to the people. He ministered to individuals, prisoners, often uh, prisoners when they were told they were about to be executed. He would be the last one to talk to them. So this is now his life. And he's basically saying what's so important for us to understand is God's love sustains us. And it is so big and so powerful that when we take it into ourselves, it compels us. We can't help ourselves. It's going to turn us around back to God, but also out to, to other people. And that's what he's doing for the Ephesians because his heart also this is now Paul, bleeds for the Ephesians because they're getting all disrupted by not loving one another the way that God would have them. So let's 
let's, uh, let's look at what I want to call the foundational possibilities. There are many possibilities with God, aren't there? I mean, look through the Bible. God really, He really did make a pathway through the Red Sea for the Israelites. Now, if I'd have been there, I'd have been the first guy freaking out. Like, what? There's the Egyptian army. They're mean. They're ugly. They have powerful weapons. I'm going to die. Right? And in front of us is this ocean. And what does God do? God does the impossible. He opens up this sea. And not only that, but he somehow dries the ground so that they can take their heavy chariots across it and not get stuck in the mud. And you go through the Bible, there are so many stories like this. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples after he's been preaching to this humongous crowd, 5,000 men, but women and children too, which aren't even counted in the number of the feeding of the 5,000. So let's say 10, 11, 12,000. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you know, we're out here, camped out in the middle of nowhere. Um, there's no McDonald's. Let's feed these people. Well, again, I would have to confess, I think I would have been just like those disciples. Feed them? Like, from what, Lord? Like, how are we going to do that? And he's like, we have enough. Oh, we do. Look around. Well, Lord, we were able to gather five loaves of bread and two fish, and that's all we got, Lord. And what does Jesus say? That's enough. Let's go. He feeds all these thousands of people, and at the end, the most amazing thing to me is, guess what? There are leftovers. After five loaves and two fish get distributed to thousands and thousands of people. This is the God with whom the possibilities, in other words, are absolutely endless. But there is one foundational possibility that we all need to be aware of. Paul talks about it in the book of Ephesians. And it comes from a foundational impossibility. So what is the foundational thing that is impossible for you and me by ourselves, by our nature? Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You were dead dead in your sins. Dead people don't just rise up one day and come out of their graves. Impossible. All of us, by the way, if you think you're not one of those dead people, Paul says, nope, you are. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We were all there, dead in our sins. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, enemies of God. His anger was was to be poured out on us. It's impossible for us to connect with a God who is holy and righteous and pure, completely set apart from sin. And now we're told, you sinful people connect with this holy, righteous God. No, what was going to happen is we were going to be struck down. It's why all the people in the Bible at first when they encounter God, they're like, Lord, we're afraid. 
because that's what happens when sin meets holiness. But then Paul doesn't leave it there. He says, if that's the foundational impossibility, you can't connect with God, let me show you something about the possibilities here. Right after Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, what does he say next? But because of his great love, great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Is that not amazing? The one thing that is impossible for us to do, a.k.a. have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ is now possible. We who were dead in our sins are now alive in Christ Jesus. We can connect with God. Any of you ever been to Europe? Any of you ever traveled to Europe? Have you ever, in your travels to Europe, taken an American appliance? You know, maybe your hair dryer, and then you took it, and it has its American plug. We're all familiar with them. And you went to look for an outlet in Europe. Anybody know what's going to happen? You're not going to be able to plug it in because their outlets are all way different. They don't connect. Furthermore, Europeans work on 220, 240 volts. If you do somehow manage to rig it up so you can wire it in, you turn it on, it's going to burn out immediately because all of our appliances are 110, 120 volts. They don't connect. This is how it was between us and God before Jesus came to be our connector. If you do go to Europe and you want to plug your phone in, you bring an adapter. Jesus is our capital A adapter. He makes us fit for God and actually fit to God. And that's the mystery of, of Jesus. So take a look at this passage Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. That's what we need to connect with Christ. To be strengthened with his power through his Holy Spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell, that is, connect, and more than connect, Dwell in our hearts through faith. Is this not amazing? I want to do an HGTV show on this. That Jesus wants to move into my heart and he comes there and he goes, what, this dilapidated mess? I'm supposed to renovate that so I can live there? No way. But then watch Jesus actually take the mess of my heart filled with sin, renovate it and turn it into a palace where he can live. I think that would make the best HGTV show ever. And that's what he does. That's what Paul says he is doing right now. He is dwelling in your heart, my heart, through faith. So here's your first fill-in about this foundational possibility. The foundation of all possibilities is that Jesus occupy and dwell in our hearts. You know, don't you? That if you have the right foundation, the strongest foundation, all kinds of things are possible in what you build on top of it. And that's why I call this a foundational, a foundational possibility. 
Once we come to faith and connect with God through faith in Christ and Jesus lives in our hearts, it's unimaginable what the possibilities are. It really is. And, and so I want to I talk about what I also think is a very important possibility, the possibility of fulfillment. I think a lot of us go through life wondering how we're going to ever feel fulfilled. Pastor Dustin talked about it last week when he talked about living a life of purpose, that one of the things that makes us feel fulfilled in life is to feel like we're living a purposeful life. And, and this is not something that is unique to Christianity. In fact, our whole world knows about this human need for fulfillment and has actually researched and studied it in the world of psychology. I, I'm going to put a quote up for you from this PhD psychologist. Leading a fulfilling life often involves chasing one's dreams, having the courage to do what feels most important, and feeling whole. Don't all of us want to feel whole? Um, under the pressure of social norms. Research suggests that fulfillment in life goes hand in hand with concepts such as legacy, life satisfaction, and happiness, making it a fundamental component of mental health. I'm, I'm just going to share, think about that for a minute. In order to feel sane, in order to feel like you're not in the midst of a world that is insane, Having a sense of wholeness and fulfillment is vitally important. Even our modern-day scientists agree with us on that. Let's go to the next slide. While there's no shortage of self-development courses, concepts, and hacks that purport to offer a quick fix to attaining fulfillment in life, there is no substitute for science-backed advice. Okay, I was with him until the very end. And do you see why he lost me at the very end? I'm a, I'm a science guy. Science is like a hobby for me. I love science. But I think science stretches itself a little bit far when it makes itself the ultimate answer to everything. And I disagree here. There is no substitute for science-backed advice to learn how to live a fulfilled life. I would say there's absolutely a substitute, and it's a better choice, and it's called the Bible, the Word of God. Our Creator has revealed Himself to us in the Bible. Those words can direct us on how to find fulfillment, and Paul does that here. He's going to tell us here how to enjoy wholeness and fulfillment. Let's take a look at the next set of verses. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, it starts right there. We need to drill our roots, the roots of our soul, down into love, God's love. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all Christians, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It, it continues with making the attempt to wrap our arms around this huge thing that is God's love, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul says, it, like, we'll never succeed at wrapping our arms around God's big love, but, but we must make the effort, because then you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You want to be made whole 
in your brokenness? You, you want to feel that you can live a purposeful life? You want to feel a sense of fulfillment? So many of us are looking for it in other things. We're looking for fulfillment in our jobs, in our families. Those are good things. God created us to work. God created us for family. Those are beautiful blessings, but they will not give us a sense of fulfillment. They will always in the long run disappoint if we remove them from God's love. And so this is where Paul, the Word of God, the Bible points us is, make your life, if you want to be fulfilled, an effort to wrap your arms around how much you are loved. Have any of you ever um, been to California? Tell me if you've been to California. Have you been to the Redwood Forest? The Redwood Forest is um, it's the origin of this thing that sometimes now is used as an insult for environmentalists, tree huggers. Do you know why? Because everybody, you're just tempted when you go into a redwood, redwood or sequoia forest, you're just like, how big is this thing? And you want to give it a big hug. Here's a picture, right? So this could be me in the redwood forest. You just want to do that. Like, I, I want to see how big this thing is. But guess what? This poor person can hardly begin to wrap their arms around that redwood tree. And by no means can they see the other side of the tree. They can't even see to the left or the right. But they're trying to wrap their arms around this sequoia tree. That's what God calls us to do, but not with the tree, with his love. He's praying for us here that we grasp how high and deep and wide and long the the love of God is. Why? Because he's like, get up there. Get your arms around just how much God's love, how much love he has for you. And there is no, talk about no substitute, there's no substitute for wrapping your arms in life around the love of God. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was saying from prison. What sustains and helps me and fulfills me, despite the fact that my life, no one would look at this life of being in prison and say, oh boy, I aspire to that. And yet here I am feeling very, very embraced by the presence of God and by His love. So will you write the next fill-in in with Christ in our hearts, actually living there, there is the possibility of finding true fulfillment in knowing the immensity of his love. Now, what does that look like, practically speaking? As I was thinking about this, I think it looks like this guy who was an Old Testament musician, an Old Testament poet. His name was Asaph. And he wrote many of our psalms that we still enjoy today. In Psalm 73... Asaph kind of shows us what it looks like to live a life of fulfillment based on wrapping your arms around the love of God. Yet, I am always with you. This is, by the way, not God saying this to Asaph. This is Asaph saying, God, I'm always trying to wrap my arms around you and keep you near and hold your hand. Why? Because I know that's my fulfillment. You hold me, God, by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. This is what it looks like 
to make that attempt to wrap your arms around the immensity of God's love for you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. In other words, I'm completely fulfilled with you in my life. So fulfilled that I don't even really want anything else. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I so pray, and Paul prays for us, to have what Asaph has in our life, no matter what's going on. You know, life is not easy. We have so many choices and decisions to make, and sometimes we're making them going, I don't know. I don't know what the right decision is here. It feels so uncertain. I don't know what the future holds. And we have our fears, and we have our worries and anxieties. We're like, I just wish I didn't have to make these choices and decisions. And you all have them. Some of you have them because of health issues that you're facing. Some of you have them because of job decisions you're making. Some of you have them because of things going on in your family. And I hope you're all praying for Pastor Dustin because he has a big one right now, right? And it's so easy to be in that situation and go, ah, I don't want to have to even have this decision to make. Just can't you just make it all disappear and go away, Lord? I wonder if, if Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, I don't want to have to decide whether or not to follow you. Maybe if I betray you, God, I can convince these Nazis and let me out of prison. I mean, think about all the temptations he must have faced. But he stuck with God. He said, I'm seeking you, and I know you will hold me by my right hand. This is what it looks like to have God's love, as big as it is, filling our hearts and giving us a sense of fulfillment. So, you have that written down with Christ in our hearts. There is the possibility, which is huge, of finding true fulfillment in knowing the immensity of His love. And let's wrap up quickly with possibility number three. I call these the unknown possibilities. These are all the possibilities who have a, for those who have a God who splits the Red Sea, who, who feeds 10,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. Let me just ask you a basic question. What is there that God cannot do? Meaning, what is there God cannot do for you if he so wills it? And you know what the answer to that is? Nada. Not a thing. Not one thing. He can do anything he so chooses to do in his will, which he knows is for your eternal good. And he not only can do it, but he often will do it. Now this is, let me tell you what it's not a promise of. This is not a promise of complete and total health for the rest of your life, or that you're going to Build so much wealth one day, you're going to live to be like Solomon. Uh, this is not a, a promise of great prosperity so that you have so much stuff, you have to own your own storage unit place so that you can put all your stuff in the storage units because you don't have time to take care of it all. That's not the promise. What this is a promise of is that whatever's going on in your life, Unbeknownst to you, God can help you with that. 
And you should be bold. You have a very big God, a very powerful God. And, and Paul is calling us to think about that, to use that, to tap into some of that. Because God doesn't just have it for himself. He has all that immense power because he loves to use it for you. Pray about anything you want to pray about. Who knows what God might do? The possibilities are not only unknown, they are limitless. And that is a big thing in American culture, limitless. 2011, there was a movie with Bradley Cooper, science fiction movie where he could take a, a pill, spe very special pill, and all of a sudden his mind would be limitless. And, and then following that, it was such a popular movie, it became a TV show. Recently, there was a, a new series that, that came out, and Chris Hemsworth was in it, called Limitless. This was about how to do things that are science-based so that you can truly, you know, push back death, be stronger, be healthier, all kinds of... And it was a cool series, by the way. I watched every episode of it. I'm a science guy. But can I tell you, Human beings in and of themselves will never be limitless. We will always be limited. But God will never be limited. God, if we want to talk about limitless, it means God must be in the picture. He is the only limitless being there is. But the beauty is He is willing to be limitless for you. For your benefit. To show you that He loves you. Take a look at what it says in the next set of verses. Now to him who is able to do what? Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What? According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Our God, your God. And this is how you should pray. This is how you should talk to God. Because God wants you to pray and talk to him this way. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I don't know what's on your heart, what's bothering you, what's tempting you, what's making you feel limited. Whatever that is, let it drive you to prayer and know God is limitless and he wants to use that limitless power uh, for you. Christ, here's your last fill-in, brings us new possibilities we can't even imagine. Here's your next step. As you go to, uh, out into the world this week, commit to this. I will, with God's help, lay hold of God's fullness and all the possibilities He brings. Would you join with me in reciting our faith, our Christian faith, in the words of the Nicene Creed? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, 
was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.